0: Hello to everyone tuning into the Highly Optimized Podcast today. My name is Ryan Sprague, and throughout this podcast, I will be showcasing conscious leaders who are living a life beat to their own drum, sharing their stories, and revealing their valuable information for you listeners on how you can effectively take life into your own control, what steps to take to create your own path, and how to maximize your ability to lead and manifest your dreams in this reality. Something that I feel is universal in our world is the notion that we will all inevitably face challenges within our lives. This being said, what separates the individuals that see those challenges as opportunities from the individuals who allow those challenges to become blockades that prevent them from overcoming them? In my experience, this difference rests on not only our mindset, but the subsequent views and perception we have upon the world around us. This is why I feel it is so crucial to not only work on our mindset, And dive into why we believe what we believe about life, but to also make friends with the inner critic within us that tells us that we can't, couldn't, wouldn't, or shouldn't consciously choose to embark upon a new way of living and therefore see our inner critic as our best friend in disguise and the only aspect of us willing to beat us down in hopes of us using those criticisms to fuel us into the most epic journey of life possible for us in our lives. Today's guest on the show is a man who is a prime example of someone who has made friends with not only his inner critic, but also his fear, and has allowed these positive reframes of these aspects of himself to propel him into living life on his own terms and creating the life of his dreams. He is a retired firefighter where he spent 17 years passionately moving into some of the most dangerous situations on earth to help save other people's lives is an absolute juggernaut in the space of handling high-stress situations and finding comfort within these discomforts, and has now taken those experiences and moved into the role of program director for a system of training called Foundation Training, which is based on teaching how to take the burden of supporting the body out of your joints and put it back where it belongs, which is in your muscles. For all of you high achievers and go-getters out there, prepare to go on a journey into how to not only reevaluate what is possible for you, but to ensure you are able to stay balanced, regulated, and healthy while shooting for the stars in your experience of life. So without further ado, please give me a big hand and welcome my man, Jesse Salas to the show. Jesse, my brother, what's up, dude?
1: Oh, uh, thanks for having me, bro. I'm excited for this uh, for this conversation.
0: Yes, man. You know, we were chatting uh, for everyone listening. We were chatting before we hit record about so much stuff. We were going down some rabbit holes and uh, <laughs> diving down into subjects of quantum physics and you know what separates us from one another in terms of our interests and things like that. And man, I just love talking to you so much. And I know this conversation is going to be an absolute badass conversation. And you know, one of the things I love discussing in the beginning is. You know, of course, I went in in your intro about your journey and such, but, you know, considering what we were talking about before we hit record, how do you feel you were able to not only become a firefighter and do like some of the most dangerous things on earth, but be able to enjoy it in the process, right? Because I imagine you met firefighters who were like pretty scared when they were doing it, right? But yet you weren't at least at a certain level, right? I imagine when you started, maybe you had some fear, but you were able to move through that and almost find comfort in the fear. What do you think made that possible for you in your life?
1: Uh yeah great that's um that's a big one I'm just laying with my brain where am I going to start with this yeah um you know with 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 all of it it was always and I don't want to come off as sounding cheesy but self belief first mm. um i and i mean that in the sense of i just got into it on the random uh, out of a uh, i say this for everybody since given the, given all of it is um I had a moment where I saw the gear. I was in high school. I saw the gear and I didn't know what I want to do with my life, but I knew I needed to figure something out. I was not a good student. Uh, I struggled. I would look at the board with the teacher, right? Try so hard to focus. My brain would go elsewhere. And when I saw the firefighter gear, I remember going, man, that would be really cool. Um, and every day would be different. And so I got into that job. And I started, I just pursued it. And right away, I started volunteering at a firehouse while I was in high school. and. And going to the fire academy. So half a day of high school, half a day of the fire academy. And I just right away knew, like, oh man, physically, this is a challenge. Mentally, there's a challenge. And I at, at those days I didn't, I didn't realize what it was doing for me, but it was helping me develop these skills. Everything was taught with a burden of stress. You know, and, and so many times the mentors, the teachers would say that in real life. It's going to be happening fast, and there's going to be stress, and there's not going to be time for mistakes. You've got to train in those ways, and so as I progressed through the academy and I got on the job, you know, constantly having the right mentors pushing me, and you know, it was just there was never a time of like just chill, especially when you're a new guy um, and you have the right crew. Is they're they're putting you through scenarios, so I would say it was a big part of the training. And then, just evolving and growing and staying curious amongst uh, your your environment. And then, just I was always so worried of, of um, being the guy that was going to mess up on yeah. on the job. And so, I I even until now, when I walk away and I hear an intro like you gave me, I'm go. I, I I never used to believe I was the guy that I was. You know, I never believed I was good enough. I never believed I had arrived. I was always fearful that I was gonna mess something up or not be able to, to rise to the occasion. And um, when I look back is all my mentors and I was on the most decorated units, I've got awards for heroism for being able to react in a moment where it wasn't a responding to a call, it was in the moment rescue of um lady stuck on a railroad tracks in her car and train coming and it, it just kind of um, went into a response. And I look back at that and I go, where'd that come from? But it was consistently being, Again, the guys I was learning from, the senior firemen, were reactive. They, were, they would see it and they would react. They didn't just sit there and, and kind of like, how's this going to play out? So I, I have to go back to the training, um, the high stress constantly. My lieutenant was a big advocate of that um, there had to be something involved, whether it was just a stopwatch with what you were doing, there had to be a sense of urgency. And a lot of people didn't like to train that way. Um, I'm sure I aged years because of it, because of all the stress induced. And in, even in training, when we would train and it was a mock scenario, I was like, I cannot mess this up. And I, I tell people that I'd like to say I was in this, this heroic headspace of, you know, no fear. I was probably more like a dog, um, more like a dog. And like, I want to get it done. I want to get the ball. I want to please, I want to, I want to make my leaders proud. And, and, um, so it was more of that. And then as I got older, the fear was never a factor. Um, it was more of, again, I go back to that to belief. It was like, it just never entered my mind. There was always a, Hey, this could go bad, but my training was in place to where I could come off the truck. I knew what my job was. I knew I, we had trained so much that I never didn't trust my skill set. fear never entered. and I think if it did, that would have prohibited me from doing what needed to be done. Um, and looking back, there's scenarios where rescues didn't go how we planned. And um, when I one time talked with my lieutenant after the fact, we were both questioning, had we, had we done everything we could? Did we Did fear get in the way? Did we overthink? And it was really like, no, we did everything. And the fact that in talking to him later and him, because he checked with me like, hey, are you good from that call? Because we had split up as a team. We were trying to get to somebody. I was coming in from a, from the back side of the house. He was coming from the front side of the house. And that was how our operation worked. I could go into that detail if, if it mattered. Um, but we were split up on, as a team, and we couldn't get to the person in time. And it came in with um, a lot of calls. So, long story short, talking later, Um it was just, we were both in that mode of of um, kind of questioning all of it, questioning our training, questioning our response. And when it was said and done, we did everything we could. But knowing that we both had those doubts, it just went back to the idea of you're never good enough. And so that that played in. I don't know. I'm going on a rant right now. No, it's um,
0: beautiful, man. This is exactly like, <clears throat> it's one of the things that I think about in my life too, because obviously I wasn't a firefighter. I wasn't dealing with situations like that but the idea of working under pressure, right? Like this is why some people, I, t- I tell people my schedule of how many podcasts I do per week, like other podcasters. And they're like, are you fucking crazy? Cause I'm telling them like, oh, I'm doing like eight or nine interviews a week, not every week, but like a lot of weeks I do. And they're like, why would you ever want to do that many? And I can see it from their point of view because they're not they're not like me and I'm not like them, right? There's not, it's not one way is better, one way is the other. It just for me, I was always the person who waited until the night before to do the book report. And I always got an A on it. I always made sure I did it and did it well, but I didn't, I like, for me, I don't work well unless there's a sense of pressure, right? And Mm. it's actually in the pressure that I find calm because in that, and when there's pressure on, my mind even knows, like, don't get in the way, right? Like we were under go time. And so, like, before I do episodes, I'm writing the intro and outro right before, right? So it's fresh in my head, but also because I know there's no fucking around, right? Like, I just need to get it done and it's going to get done. And so it's interesting to hear your point of view as well, where like that type of situation is what you felt more, more called to, right? Like, when you were in school and you were thinking about, you know, ideas and things like this, it was hard to get your brain to focus, right? And I had a very similar thing where, I don't like sitting in a chair all day unless I'm doing things like this, right? And coaching and things that are really interactive and, uh, you know, and and involved. But, you know, when it when it comes to like, it's another reason why I'm not really good at reading books and why I listen to them instead, because I don't like to read a book and sit there and do it all the time. I will every once in a while, but I'd much rather be playing with my stick mobility sticks or like stretching on the ground and listening to things because as I'm moving my tissues around, all of a sudden, because of that change in energy, something will click and i'll be like ooh and then i can go back and repeat it and be like yeah that was interesting and for me all throughout my life i've realized that a lot of the times i judged myself for like not retaining all of the information without realizing that in in reality it's not about retaining all of the information or always getting it right it's about going towards the information that lands for you just right off the bat and looking at the situations in which you made it or you didn't make it and evaluating them but then realizing hey I did the best I could, or this is what landed for me. That must be what's important. Let me focus on that and move forward. And so I love that story, man, because it's very relevant to my life in a very different way, but very, you know, same, same, but different.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think as you're saying that I'm going, that resonates because even now I I put, I put these, we'll say, um, demands on, on the daily. And my, you know, I've got a twin brother and we talk on it often of, we feel like we we start to feel those um the headspace is not good when we're not physically driving towards something when we're not getting training in mm-hmm. and i sometimes tie it back to joe rogan's points of like we're meant to move we're meant to be active we're meant to be achieving mm-hmm. and so um even now and, and i i've had so many times where i left the fire service where i i try to look at um what is it that i lost that leaving there um I felt like I didn't have any regimen. I, I felt lost in a way. And so creating a natural regimen, creating a scenario of every day showing up and pushing myself to then be productive, I found really helped me. Um, but yeah, it's always, it's always tough, man, as uh, the guy that doesn't do good sitting still. Um, I, you know, my brain is going a lot, and even like telling that story, I start holding my breath, and I start thinking, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not even making sense right now, you know. Like I start getting in there. Um, and I yeah, I'll go, How did I get onto this story?
0: Yeah. Well, it's amazing, man, because you know, memories are almost a thirst trap in a way, too, because we remember them differently and they change over time, right? As our belief systems change and as our experience of life changes, our brain is actually like not instructed because it's kind of unconscious, but it changes things to fit what's going to be most useful for us moving forward. And so, like nowadays, right? Like, I have no problem sitting still when I'm at a check event or something like that. And so even what I just Mm. said, I'm able to think about now and go, well, no, it's actually not that I'm not able to sit still. It's just that things have to really captivate me for me to be able to sit still. Like, and that's the thing. And, you know, again, like in school, just to go on a little tangent here, right? Like they often tell you, like, you know, your kid can't sit still. He must have ADD or ADHD instead of ever saying, Maybe I'm a boring teacher. Maybe I should focus on getting that kid interested because all the other kids seem to be interested by anything I say or not even interested, but just compliant. But what about that one outlier? That's the one they should focus on if they want to be the best teacher. And so for me, I've realized that that's actually one of my compasses now. My anchors is that if I'm having trouble sitting still, actually ask myself, is this a book or is this a teacher or is this something that I'm learning only because something in my mind is telling me I have to know this? Or is this something I'm genuinely looking to learn because I'm really excited to learn and I'm curious about the possibilities of what happens when I learn this? And a lot of times it's one or the other, right? Like I fell into this challenge, especially in self-development of like, oh, I need to learn all of this stuff about everything. And this gets me into what I was telling you about before we hit record about something I wanted to bring up where, have you looked into human design at all before? No. So it's a modality um, that's I'm not going to say similar to astrology, but think that kind of idea, right? Yeah. Where they're essentially having you enter your birthday, your birth time, your country of you know birth and all these things, and they're giving you a design, right? And this design is going to tell you a lot about yourself and how you operate in the world. And it's, it's something that called me in. And again, it was one of those knowings where I got into it. And this is one of the times that like, this is a sign, right? So I went to a check event. And, uh, we rented a house for a week with a bunch of my friends from Boston. We had this like beautiful, like mansion basically in Temecula. And, uh, so after the event, we all went into Carlsbad and, uh, we went to this crystal shop and immediately I was drawn to the book section. Now, like I was saying, I don't read a lot of books. So I was like, all right, this is interesting. So I'm looking through and I'm pulling out book after book. I'm like, I'm going to buy all these. And then I find, yeah. the, <laughs> and then I find the human design book. And I had known enough about human design at this point, but I wanted to get more into it. I knew like it, it, you know, it was attractive to me, but I didn't know a lot about it. And so I buy this book along with like five others and we go back to the house and we're having people over that day from the workshop. And so there's like a party happening around me and I'm like a big party animal, man. Like I love, I'm a, I'm a projector in human design. So our whole thing is about collaboration, connection, you know, getting people together, uh, you know, creating impact in the world, things like that. And so I'm sitting there on the couch And I read this entire book over the course of like six to eight hours, right? Just while there's a party going on around me. And I'm just involved in this book, hitting volcano bags, just like, whoa, this is amazing. And, and like, it was, it was one of those moments where I go, what's going on here? Like, cause this isn't normally me. So I take note of it. And so something that was portrayed as quote unquote bad when I was growing up, like, oh, you can't sit still for everything. Therefore you must have this disease, this disease, this Mm. disease, something like that. Actually now is my strength because I know that only the things I'm able to sit still for are really what's important for me and what I should pay attention to. And so the reason I bring this up is because I have a hunch that you are a projector as well because of our, uh, of our ability to converse and talk. And also based on what you told me um, before we hit record, uh, everyone listening, Jesse and I were talking about how uh, he was putting on motivational stuff for people, right? Like these, these motivational videos and not everyone was super into it. Right. And dude, this has been one of the things, uh, the patterns in my life that I had to figure out because I've always been an investigator and I've loved to learn everything about everything. And my mistake was that I wouldn't read my audience. And so I would just go regurgitate things about quantum physics or biogeometry, for instance, on people that were like, dude, I do not care about this at all. And I would be like, I must have to tell you more for you to be interested in it. So I wouldn't (laughs) notice, I wouldn't notice these signals. Right. And so, when I learned about human design and I realized, okay, I'm a five one projector and my strategy in life is waiting for the invitation, that was like it was, it, it brought everything together because right then I realized how to get out of my people pleasing pattern because part of it was that I wanted everyone to feel amazing. And so, I was projecting my reality onto other people. Oh, well, this will make you happy. So, I'm going to tell you this. When in reality, it was based on a falsehood, it was based on my projection. And so, when I started to realize this, then I was able to be authentically myself and realize like, okay, I'm a little bit of a weirdo. I'm going to be esoteric and metaphysical and scientific and all these different things. And I'm going to be fully myself. And I'm going to speak exactly what's coming from my heart. Because if I try to make everyone happy, well, then what I'm going to do is actually like sacrifice my own happiness in a paradoxical way. But also, if I'm being fully me then the right people are going to naturally come to me and go, Hey, what's that thing you're talking about? And then the invitation's been made and then I can supply information that will actually help them. And maybe I learn something from them in return and all of these things. So I'm curious and we'll have to do your human design, man, because it's a free chart you do online. And I'm so fascinated to figure out what you are, man, because I think you're a projector.
1: Well, I mean, to your point, I think a big part of it too is you're very, what I pick on is you're extremely passionate about what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that, when do, when talking on these subjects to the to people what i found is, is you know the varying audiences and i say this is something that i trace back to the fire service of random things i found i'm really good at by being a guy that was a firefighter now in my circle is that getting pretty good at when i come into an audience gauging how how do i need to deliver what i'm talking about in a, for this audience, but allowing my passion to come out in it, which I feel like it naturally does. And I go link that back to your question about living in in a career like that and in, and thriving and enjoying. It, is that at the end of the day, it was always very much. I, I never ever felt like I was going to work. And I have to go back to. I would drive to work excited to be going to this job with my gear, my equipment, like. I used to have it in the back end of my truck and I remember driving down the highway thinking like, Oh, all these people going to their job, you know, who, you know, who cares about me and my stuff? No one gave a shit. In my mind, it was like, (laughs) I'm going to be a, I'm going to do who knows what today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I trace that back the same thing with your audiences of it goes back to when you're passionately into whatever it is you're doing, there's no unnecessary effort. And then when you talk to people about what you're doing, it j- they feel it. They experience it. Especially, I think, as as you're saying with us being a, a projector, mm-hmm. you know, um you can't help but have people kind of get on. And, and what I found is what's a really interesting read now with audiences is the people that are usually the most closed off to me, I started to find they're in the most pain. Mm. That yes. what, consistently, you they're them. the one hurting. Yeah. yeah well, and, and it's a, there's a, there's a, a, you know, I could look back in the fire service and guys would get mad at me for being like excited and optimistic at three o'clock in the morning for some bullshit call we're waking up for. But I was still like, okay, we're gonna go. You know, you ran a lot of a lot of what would be considered BS calls. They were mm-hmm. people abusing the 911 system. And I would get up though and be like, Oh, cause who knows? Maybe while we're out, we're gonna get this <laughs> crazy call. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe while we're out, we're gonna witness and have to go do this. And part of it was I'm getting on the truck with my friends. I'm about to go do what I signed up to do. And there were nights where I was like, God, this job. And then I kind of would sit there and remind myself of a, I don't remember if it was a religious quote, who said it, but there's no greater service than to your fellow man. And I would yes. just kind of, and I would jokingly say it to the other guys when we'd be walking back into the firehouse Bay to lift myself up as kind of a smart ass reminder. Cause I was a smart ass to a lot of people in the fire <laughs> service. It was my thing, but um you know, taking that passion into whatever you're doing. And I think it just comes to a matter of like, as you said, is recognizing like, Hey, I wasn't a great student, but why could I go from being a kid that barely survived high school? The physical portion of the fire Academy crushed it. The book portion barely scratched through get into the job. And I had, I went through, you know, various mentors and, and the guy I got around the right crew and they just went, yeah, You have all the right qualities. I can train you Mm -hmm. and I, you know, and getting, getting taken under the wing. And so I think it's that twofold of allowing your passion to follow you. But when you get around other people with passion, looking to bring them up, not knock them down. Cause I saw that a lot. People want to knock you down because they're not in a happy place or they're in pain. Mine is usually they're physically in pain and they're the ones that are like, just not wanting to absorb. And I used to be like, oh, they're just in a shitty mood they I realized like, oh, no, that's that one going through something. How can I be more compassionate and ease them into what we're doing?
0: Yes. And it makes perfect sense, too, because, you know, there's a couple of things that might be going on there, too, with the people that, you know, get like, say, triggered or any of these terms. And by triggered, I don't mean like upset, but just like they're like, whoa, there's there's some friction there, right? Of some sort of some resistance. And a lot of it, you know, in my own case, when I've met people that uh, before I started my own business and I knew that I wanted to, but I wasn't doing it, I would meet people that were very successful in business, that were happy with what they were doing. And I would almost shut them out. Now, it wasn't because I didn't like them, but it was because it was triggering that call in me that I knew I could do it. I knew this was what I was going to do, but yet I wasn't taking the initiative to do it yet. And that was burning me up inside. Right. And so as soon as I started doing my own thing, all of those kind of people, all of a sudden I was like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me what you're doing. Tell me this. Right. And so with people in pain, because again, you know, I've been in physical fitness and all this stuff for a long time and learned a lot of different modalities within this. And I don't specialize in train people, but a lot of my friends, when they have injuries, I'm like, Oh my God, like, let me help. Right. And they're like, no, I don't really want you to help. Right. And, and I know what it is. I've, you know, I feel it too. Like when I have an injury. Right. And I go to like PT or something like that in the past or whatever. And that person who doesn't have that injury is telling me, like, hey, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. I get a little jealous sometimes, right? Because I'm like, fuck, if only I didn't have this injury. And then I start harping with myself that this injury is the end all be all. And what I started realizing was the more I can push through that and realize, hey, guess what? Something was injured in you because there was a weakness of some sort in you, right? Like you lifted wrong or whatever happened. Right. And if you listen to this person. You're not only going to be able to fix this injury, but you're going to be able to never have it happen again, potentially, and you're going to be able to then pass this on to someone else. And so I went from the identity of like the victim of like, oh, what do I do here? I'm powerless to like, hey, I always have the power to change it, even when my mind tells me I don't. And that's been a big part of my journey is realizing that the mind is based off of subconscious programs and patterns that generally other people had told me about life. And so when I was feeling that triggeredness, right. Of, you know, that healer telling me like, Hey, without, you know, having the same injury I did telling me how to fix it. It was that I believed deep down that I wasn't going to be able to fix it. And in a way I was almost attached to being the injured person. Right. And cause that yeah. starts to form your identity. And this is what I found a lot in the, in the fitness world is when someone gets really injured, they almost try to hold on to it a little bit too. Right. And they're not doing it consciously. They're not like, you know, it'd be fun if I just play the role of the victim and think that I'm going to be injured forever. It's not conscious, right? And that's why yeah. you know, I've gone through these things and I give everyone this benefit of the doubt because I know what it is. And and I still feel these thoughts come up. I've just learned now like, oh, that's part of the process. There's that pattern again telling me that. And what pattern do I want to put in there in return? And so now I've been able to become more conscious with life. But Paul Check says something that's really interesting, which is, and this isn't necessarily with regards to what we're talking about, but just in general, because we were talking a little bit before we hit record about Paul Levy's work with Watico and this mind virus, right? Is that a lot of people like this whole idea of ignorance is bliss. What does that mean? Right. It means that the second you become conscious of something, you either have to fix it, right. You have to work to fix it, or you have to live with the suffering of knowing that you have a challenge and you're not figuring it out. Right. Versus if you're ignorant to it, well, then like there's nothing you can do, right. You're powerless to it. And so, it takes a lot of power to wake up and become conscious. And it's not the easy route, right? Like, you know, a lot of people like, and and it's not to dis anyone, but like a lot of people make it seem kind of easy, right? A lot of spiritual healers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're intending to do that, but they're in a place where it has become easy for them. Right. And so this is the whole idea of with marketing, like speaking to the version of yourself, that was you like seven years ago or 10 years ago, when you were in your client's mindset of like, there is nothing I can do about this. Right. Like, talking to them in a way of like, I was there with you. And this is what I found rather than just mm. like, everything is fine. It's all happening for you. Right. Like a lot of people would just be like, fuck yourself. Cause they're not there yet. You're on chapter 10. They're on chapter five and you're going, you're trying to teach them right to chapter 10. And so this intermediary phase, I feel is so powerful. And when you, when you brought that up, it really, it really brought that up in me because I've had to realize that in coaching, in podcasting and doing everything is that, especially with my clients, like, I can't speak to them and tell them like the answer to the question. I have to lead them into the figuring out the answer themselves. Otherwise I'm not really coaching. I'm just, I'm just teaching and teaching isn't necessarily bad, but a lot of times when it's going into mindset and things like this, that are more like, I don't want to say metaphysical, but more like emotional and things like that. Mm -hmm. They take time and you have to almost like guide your clients to be like, well, what does that mean for you? What do you think it might mean? Right. And they go, well, maybe, you know, maybe I could fix this. Oh, how does that make you feel when you think you could fix it? Right. Maybe you haven't fixed it yet. You're not ready to say I can fix it, but I could fix it. Right. And so language and all of these things play into it. And so it's fascinating, man. This is some of my favorite topics to get into.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you hit on a big one of the the limiting, that limiting idea, the limiting belief, and even down to holding on to an identity of an injury, you know, um, and I think it, it, you know, as you said, it goes back to so much of it. And I see it often with injuries. I see the people that are are truly, without realizing, holding on to an identity associated. And, you know, I, I, I hear the people say like, oh, it's easy. Just do this. And, oh, just do that. And, um, you know, my biggest thing for everybody is, is, taking on a, I, I just say, do you want to see change? Do you want to change? Yeah, cool. Okay. So here's my, here's my quick advice. Do the 10 week online Wim Hof program. It's, I said, it's, it'll take you maybe 30 minutes a day, but you're taking on a breath practice at the minimum. Like the, and, and I say this because I don't often recommend things that I haven't done myself. But anytime any of my friends are like, dude, I wanna change. I, I got these problems. I got this, I got that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say, like, okay, why do you wanna shift it? Are you for real? Like, so many of us say that, or you just want me to listen to you right now? Like, cause mm-hmm. I'll do that too. Mm-hmm. But anybody listening to this right now, my, this is my rationale for you and why I say do that is when I did it, it became this profound thing that after three weeks, I found that a week and a half, I was like making excuses not to show up and keep going. I pushed through, I held myself accountable, like way to go, Jesse. Yep. But then th- week three hit week four hit. And I started kind of like, Oh man, noticing that this breath work was making shifts for me. And then from there, it allowed me to start kind of in those moments of the breath hold, having these more introspective thought, you know, and I, sometimes I, I would, you know, have a toke or two and do it. And I got really introspective mm. and, uh, it just developed a habit of, of kind of going there and not from a judging, but I started to have these different thoughts and feelings coming up, self-awareness of mindsets and habits. And, you know, as I started to allow more of the motivational videos to play for me, you know, it, that I, I got a, away from letting people make me feel like I was a dork because I listened to them and I listened them and kind of get fired up. and. I started noticing it was shifting my head, and those evolved into listening to Les Brown, Tony Robbins, and then I started noticing that when I'm in these negative spaces, if I hold on to that or I allow myself to identify with it, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm a vehicle stuck with the tires in the sand. I'm just spinning my wheels, and it's real easy to sit there and do the woes me. But if I really want to change, I got to evolve that. And so by bringing that breath work, bringing the motivational videos in. Then one day I found Tony Robbins talking about, he went, you know, if you really want to change, if you truly want to be successful, do these three things. You know, you have to have a morning ritual. If you don't have, and he said, it can take 10 minutes. If you don't have 10 minutes, you don't have a life. And I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, Tony, I want to change. Like literally like responding to him. I want to be that guy. And so he's like, do it every day. And so I heard that. And then I started doing it every day. I do my Wim Hof. And then I do this ritual of focusing on my gratitude, focusing on my productivity, like my vision for myself. And that was kind of, at that time, it was the only time I'd allow myself to dream as big as I wanted. Nothing is unrealistic, right? Because so often that that set mindset you talked about, we hone into what we've been programmed to believe is possible. And I found, I could start to find where it was like constantly like, oh, money's getting tight. Oh, what are you going to do? And then Honing into that scarcity mindset and how that would become toxic. Now I'm not a just believe it's going to come. If you're not working towards it, that goes out the window. You know you have to be driving towards it and drawing it to you. But if you have that belief, it does. Let's just say it carries over subconsciously to force you to be more productive. That's what I believe you do. You put the energy out there, but you're molding your brain so that when that practice is over you're going into the world with a, I'm going to be productive. And so it just became this pathway of not holding on to an old identity. It became a pathway to actually make change instead of just going, Oh, I want to change. Well, I'm trying to do what I'm being told. Uh, and, and I'm a very like fireman in me goes, I need, I need tasks. I need something I'm, I'm working towards. So the Wim Hof thing is a, to me was an amazing tool. The other people I tell like firemen go train, go do a free diving course, but you got to train for it. Otherwise you're going to show up and you're got, you're not going to be able to do a, a three minute breath hole. Now you say that to a firefighter and even that are truly into that job and are task oriented alpha type, they don't want to show up and not be the person that can accomplish it. So now when I look at who I'm teaching and training and I'm reading my audience, okay, are they that alpha type? Do I need to give them something to work towards? Are they more of the let me plant some seeds and they're going to run with it. But, um, you know, I'm just an advocate of be proactive, like find a ritual that you can mold around, um, and then pursue it. The breath work, I think I can't say enough. Um, you know, I still use Wim Hof often and, um, I do various breathing practices around it, but that is my dial in hone in. I wish I had done it before we started the podcast today, (laughs)
0: Um,
1: but I had a phone call that I had to, I had to kind of be there for a friend, but. You know, it's life. So, um, dude, Where we go.
0: You know, it's so funny you mentioned all that. I wrote some notes down because you brought up some very interesting things, right? Where Paul Check has this quote from the Quaker branch of Christianity, right? Which I'm not a religious person, very spiritual, but I don't attach myself to any religion yet. I know a good line when I hear it. And what they say is pray and move your feet, right? A lot mm. of people get it wrong where they think that you can just sit around and think about what you want to manifest and it will happen, right? And that's part of it, right? Because first, if you want a new reality for yourself, you have to first be able to visualize and imagine it, right? But then you have to actually figure out the how. And this is the big thing with plant medicines too, is that people have these experiences with plant medicines and they're called P-E-A-K peak experiences, right? Oh my God, I felt one with the universe. I figured out exactly what I need to do in my life, right? And then they like wrongly think that the plants figured it out for them. And so then they go back into their daily life and they're like, man, my life sucks again. I must need another PEAK experience. So then they continue this cycle of dependency on these plant medicines. Mm. When in reality, the idea of plant medicines is that they are showing you what is already possible in your reality. Yet there's something or a group of things that might be blocking you from it, limiting beliefs, et cetera. Because when you're interacting with plant medicines, they're moving you past the analytical mind, past deep into the subconscious, right? And so you're able to live without a lot of the confines of typical society of the things that you've learned about life from other people, all of these things. And so they're giving you the opportunity to to know objectively, because you have the direct experience that more is possible. But then your real work starts, because then in your sober state of reality, it's up to you to figure out the how. And so I've said this analogy before, but I'll say it again, because it really brings it home. Imagine you have a plant medicine experience where you realize like, oh my God, maybe your intention was, I want to unlock creative potential. I want to realize why I'm not being creative lately. You have this experience and you realize, oh my God, I miss painting. I want to get back into painting. And then you come out of that experience and you don't actually take the initiative to sign up for paint classes or start painting or doing something. Well, then you're going to need another PEAK experience to access that same state of reality because you didn't actually figure out the how after the plant showed you the what. And so on the other side, if you decide to come out of that and go, fuck it, it's scary, I'm going to book a session for an art class this week, and you start going there, you're going to actually start having PEEK experiences, where then, in a sober state of reality, your sober state of reality takes on the magic that you feel within the psychedelic space. It's not like literally you start tripping in daily life, but you start having those like magical moments, synchronicity, serendipities, meeting the right people, all of these things. And that's what keeps you going. That's fuel that burns that, like, that will and that drive that you were talking about to keep going. And then when the negative thoughts come up, you just go, fuck that. I, I'm having evidence that the other way is working. So I'm going to go with that. And this is the idea of radical ownership, too, where you realize that the only person that is going to get you out of whatever funk you're in or whatever challenge you're in in life or a new way of living is you. And it, you can listen to all the books, you can do all the things, but if you don't take action, then it's all just going to be like analysis paralysis and you're going to be learning just to learn and you're not going to have any applied sense of knowledge. And so that's like one of the most impactful things in my life too. And especially for masculine energy, you know, trust and faith is the, is the bricks that make up the house of the masculine. And so you do that by getting into a routine and ritual practice where no matter what it is, and I think this is where a lot of other people get stuck too, is someone tells them, hey, you got to do this one thing, right? Right. And so like, for me, it was journaling. Everyone, when I got into this, you got to journal, you got to journal. <laughs> yeah. so fucking like journaling, right? Like it just not like, I'll take notes, but I'm not going to sit there and write five pages. And I would have tons of friends that in the middle of medicine ceremonies, you know, when we were down in Mexico, they'd be writing pages. And I'm like, so jealous. I'm like, I wish I could do that, but it just didn't resonate with me. Me. I'm like you, I like breath work. I like meditating. I like things where I'm like fully involved and I'm going and journeying to far places and, and having new experiences. That's my form of integration that I prefer. And so everyone's going to be a little bit different, but you know, the, the main thing is that in your life, whatever you believe you'll find evidence for. So if you believe that the world is against you and the world is a scary place and all these things, and guess yeah. what you're going to find in your reality, you're going to find the world scary and it's against you. But if you choose to start believing, even if you don't fully believe it yet, that I'm going to choose consciously to believe that the world is a good place and that people are good people and everyone's doing the best with the information they have, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to start seeing an external reality reflected from that internal state because quantum physics says there's no separation between object and subject. That's where Newtonian physics went wrong. And so if we understand this idea, this esoteric concept of quantum physics, and we understand how to apply it to our lives, our whole life can change because then we start. And and the other thing that's really helped me too is the seven hermetic principles. And those are based on quantum physics in a big way. And so when we start combining esoteric, um, you know, ancient practices with new age science of like quantum physics, and we start realizing, oh, the alchemists had it right, there was no difference between science and spirituality, they were two sides of the same circle, then we actually start being able to be the creators of reality. And like you said, you know, you found a thread, you liked Wim Hof, so you're like, fuck it, I'm going to try this, right? You did it, and you started to see your life change, you're like, now I'm going to do more of it. And now if that thought comes in in the morning, it's like, why are you doing Wim Hof? You're like, fuck out of here, and you're just doing it, Right. And that's my thing. Like every day when I'm about to meditate, I have that thought of like, you don't need to do it today. Come on. You can just stretch more, do whatever. And I'm just like, fuck that. It doesn't even, it literally does not even come into my wavelength anymore where I'm going to identify with it. It did for a long time until I realized and found the meditations that I preferred, which are Joe Dispenza meditations. And because right, like he's all about like, create your own reality. You can change your energy. And that's what vibrates with me when i was doing other meditations that were more like transcendental meditation or whatever i would have experiences i would feel calm at the end but i didn't really get the point of what i was doing and so with joe i feel he's one of the best people that can take ancient yogi practices and a lot of these things that are so esoteric that when you hear you know these these um, these teachers talk about them it's almost like they seem separate from you it's like they they there's some 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 high level it's too hard to understand joe's just like Hey, man, it's actually really easy, and here's how you do it. And I feel like Joe cracks something where a lot of people are really great at what they do, but they're not good at teaching it. Joe happens to be good at both of those things. He happens to be really good at what he does, and he's really good at teaching it in a way that no matter if you understand quantum physics and this stuff, like, He's one of the main reasons that I do understand quantum physics now. And by understand, I just mean understand the concept of it. I don't think there's any way yeah. to really understand what the quantum realm is because it's beyond human nature, but <laughs> but I understand the basis of it. And so this whole thing is, you know, I think what we're speaking to is whoever you are, you're going to find evidence for whatever you believe. And the only person that can shift that for you is you. You are your own biggest cheerleader and everything that's happening in your world, you are responsible for fixing if it's not going right. And it sounds harsh, right? Like, I've realized because again, this is like chapter 10. Right now, I'm in that and I realize it. But when I was on chapter five, I was like, fuck that. When people said that, I was like, no, I'm definitely like, there's things I'm victimized to. There's all these things. But at the end of the day, I just started to realize no one's going to come save the day for me. If I start to believe that life is out of my control, then I'm going to have a really bad life of life happening to me. And I'd rather have life happen for me. So once my pain point got high enough, that's when I finally surrendered and was able to start believing, like, okay, What if life happens for me? And then that what if turned into life actually does happen for me. And I think a lot of people, you know, they try to go to the matter of fact before they go through the as if stage. And so matter of fact is like where we're at now. We're like, yeah, do we create our reality? Let's do it. Right. But we had to go through the as if stage. All right. I'm hearing these people say these things. What if I lived my day as if this were true? What would I be like? How would I act? What would I do in my mornings? How would I go to bed? Right? All these things. And then over time, our mind kind of started finding evidence to support this theory we were running. And now we're able to just go for it. And so I think for people listening, realize that there's a stepping stone process to this and that it's it's cyclical, right? It goes on forever. There's always levels to it. There's new levels that I imagine you're moving into every day. There's new levels I know I'm moving into every day. But at the end of the day, there's there's that as if stage and then and then it leads into matter of fact. But I think if you try to rush that, you're gonna, you're gonna miss a lot of the magic along the way for sure. Hello, everybody. I hope you are all enjoying the show. I wanted to stop by and fill you in on our brand new, completely free-to-join Facebook community called the Highly Optimized Ceremony Circle. I imagine many of you are aware of the newest creation within Highly Optimized, which is the Connect With Cannabis program. Alex and I are having so much fun empowering health and wellness professionals with the skill set of facilitating conscious cannabis and helping them up level their facilitation practice that we wanted to create a space where anyone could join to ask questions, receive free information on how to work with cannabis in the way we teach in the program, and be able to gain clarity around how to get the best results with their clients in order to become financially independent in their health and wellness practice. To join, hop over to the link in our Instagram bio and send us a request. It is our intention to assist as many health and wellness professionals as possible in the important work they are doing in the world. And if you are looking to join a community of like-minded individuals just like you, who are passionate about helping their clients achieve the highest quality of life possible, the highly optimized Ceremony Circle is for you. I am looking forward to speaking with all of you in the group, and as always, enjoy the show.
1: Well, I think, I think to your point, a part of that magic is also that if you're waking up and doing it right away, you're claiming not only your day, in my mind, that's how I frame it. I'm Mm -hmm. claiming my day before anything else, anybody else does. Yes. And in conjunction with that, we are setting the stage for, like you're setting the stage with a win. You showed up and you did it. Like we talk ourselves, I mean, right away I'm like, oh yeah. I've had plenty of days where I'm like, ah, come on. Do you really need to do it? And I've Mm -hmm. I've done that. I've not done it. And then Mm -hmm. later I felt, you know, especially when I was first out of the fire service, when I started to let go of that practice was when I would start to spin out and like really go, what have I done? Oh, d- leaving this career. It took me about two years to get over, um, leaving, leaving the the total, um, reassurance comfort, uh, and even to a degree, the prison that was my, my loving career. I mm-hmm. loved every ounce of that career and I never thought I would leave early. Um, but then through, these breath practices through people coming in by starting to be curious. And that was my, that was going to be my thing. I went back to with Wim Hof as we were talking about, I remember at the firehouse, the first time I watched a video, I heard him on Joe Rogan and then I watched the documentary on him. And I remember being like, Whoa, what if what he's saying is true? That was it. That was what if, cause I was, I, at that point, I'd already become, I had already done free diving and I was into free diving and I had trained for my freediving course. I did every day for like three months. I prep, Like, that's how anal, alpha, anal firefighter I was. Like, I can't show up and not be successful at this. And it was, I did a Waterman survival. So it was an even more intense challenge at the end of it. Um, but I trained every day for that. And then that was when I really felt like I got control of my ADD. I mean, it's still a little out of whack. Anybody listings gonna be like, "Ooh, yeah, you might have a little bit of a, you might have a little bit of that," which I I, <laughs> I don't mind. But through the freediving and then bringing that breath practice into my yoga, and for the first time, I wasn't just falling asleep at the end of the yoga. At the end of yoga class, I wasn't at forty-five minute mark going, "How much fucking longer?" God damn it, we still got twenty minutes to go. Like <laughs> that was my brain in yoga, and then it was time for, for meditation, and I would pass out. And so after that, it was, oh, this is a great time to practice my free dive breathing. And then it started to click, oh, if you focus on your breath through yoga, it doesn't matter what the practice, looks like you're doing yoga, you know? Uh, And so that evolved. And when I saw Wim Hof, it was a curiosity of what if what this guy is saying is true? What if you can get control of your autonomic nervous system? Oh, the fire department is known for destroying your body. You're 60% more likely to get cancer. And when cancer is rampant in our society, it made me go, well, why don't, why wouldn't you explore this? Look at what freediving did for you. Mm. So I started playing with it. And I remember, I'll never forget. I'm watching the vice documentary, Wim Hof staying there in the ice breathing. And I'm like, whoa, this guy's badass, ass gangster. This guy's yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another, I mean, give you, give you an idea of the the my, mindset. One dude's watching with me like, wow, his name was Jeremy. He's an outdoor, outdoorsman, badass climber, rock, ice guy. So he has a tie to nature. And I think that always played in a surfer. So he's a he's a questioner. He's an explorer. The other guy comes in. He looks at him, He goes, who's the hobo? And turns around and walks <laughs> out.
2: And I just remember
1: being like, Man, get out of here. And then I, right away, I'm like, I'm in. I paid for the program. Get on my fire truck. I tell all the guys, like, yeah, I signed up for the program. Like one guy's curiously like, oh, what'd that cost you? And I was like, oh, it was 200 bucks. And oh, then he gets on there. We're we're on headsets. We're all talking. There's five of us on the unit. And remember, it's a loving, playful, but it's shit talking. It's a tribe and they're (laughs) going to knock. And so he was being curious and he gets on the head and goes, do you hear what this dumb shit just did? He just spent $200 for this breathing program. And my lieutenant, who's one of my closest friends, I love this guy to death. and he just goes, you're telling me you just paid $200 to learn how to breathe. And just, I'm sitting there like, yeah. And he's like, you're telling me my whole life, I'm fucking doing it wrong. And now, fast forward, I would have gone, absolutely, you are. Are you breathing in your nose? Are you breathing in through your mouth? Are you expanding into your belly, up into your rib cage? This goes into foundation training and why, to me, this in and of itself is a morning practice, so my morning practice evolved, but what is the quality of your breath and that when we start to focus in on that breath and we start to calm, recognize that you can calm your service your nervous system down, you do have the control to manage your anxiety if you learn how not it's easy just take take control, but if you learn how to apply these tools and in the moment recognize that you have control in the moment you recognize you have control of your pain and by Showing up and doing Wim Hof by waking up and doing foundation training, because there's such a big breathing element in that. And that when you start to get into these foundation exercises that from the outside looking in, it's a static pose. It looks like yoga. What's the big deal? But what people can't see is that that person is generating massive amounts of tension through their body. And people hear tension, they go, wow, why would I want to do that? What we're doing is we're tensioning muscles to uniformly balance the way they pull on the frame. And so then you start to learn how to balance them so that you're addressing the breakdown in the body that's happening from modern society, sitting too much, collapsing in, adapting to our modern surroundings. So we tension the body to address that. We are tensioning the limbs towards center, kind of balancing chronic spin out of the leg, so external rotation to balance that pull in. And then a chronic collapsing in of the upper body, you see the tech neck and all that, to be expansive. So we'll say external rotation of the upper body, but we're tensioning those limbs in and then using the breath to push everything out away from center. So what we focus for us is a, a rib cage expansion and it becomes extremely challenging in the moment. And to the point that people go into this, like when I was learning at my headspace, was like, how much fucking longer are you going to keep me in this pose? Why is this so hard? This is only, but by- I can lift 300 300- pounds over my head what the fuck is going on and, and that's when I recognized like dude you've got to get control of your headspace you know and then coming out be like oh my god I feel amazing it wasn't CrossFit like I, I was aiding CrossFit I didn't come out of that and be like oh my god oh god I'm sore shit now I feel amazing but man that was a grind the next day I'm so it was instantly while wow, my low back is on fire is that supposed to be like that Well, yeah, you just did a, basically a plank for your low back. You just challenged the limbs to connect and draw towards center. So you're balancing the way they pull. You balance the upper body and then you're retraining. So your rib cage has freedom to expand, which is rigid and stuck for most people. Mm. Or again, to the poor breathing, I'm sitting so long, my head's tracked forward. I'm breathing in through my mouth. I'm shallow breathing into my chest. Just oral breathing instead of nasal breathing is a dysfunction of breathing. Mm-hmm. shallow into the chest, people hear rib cage and they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we we're supposed to breathe into our belly, but you naturally will. But if I'm collapsed in and in this shoulders rounded forward, head tracking forward collapsed because I sat for hours on my computer, or I drove for hours, I sat on a plane, or I'm doing my normal life. And then I want to go do a, a breathing practice, but I'm adapted now, 20 minutes of one position, the body starts adapting. I'm adapted to that. And now I want to breathe. Well, my rib cage is kind of stuck and pinning forward. You know, you may not even see it. It might be so new, but over time it happens. But now my diaphragm, the main muscle of our breathing, it surrounds the entire rib cage of your spine. That can't fully open. So now we're pinning our diaphragm. We're collapsing in. I'm trying to get a complete breath. I'm trying to figure out why am I slowly getting this shallow breathing? My head tracks forward. I'm breathing into my chest, panic receptors. So I say for everybody, it's like, I'm not here to teach you how to breathe. I'm here to help address your posture. But if I look at it and you want to get the most out of your breath practice, start by learning to uniformly expand your rib cage. Start to learn how to challenge that breathing so that when you go into the rest of it, your posture is open, stacked and in a position where you can then optimize your breathing. By bringing the foundation in for me, it became that tool to decompress from an extremely intense um, Call. You know, you'd go and see people in their worst moments. You'd experience it with them. Or you didn't show up for the call, but you you were in the mindset that there's a vehicle underwater. We've got to go right now. We've got two minutes before we're there. It's two minutes from the firehouse. The stress of getting my gear on. I mean, that's what it was for me. It wasn't so much coming off the truck and performing. It was it was literally the stress of I have to be ready before we get there. Otherwise I'm, I'm, you know, I failed. Okay, we get there. Come off the truck. Okay, I've got to get into the water. I gotta do these things. I've got to descent without fail. Because things can go wrong with your gear with everything. Then I gotta find the car and pattern correctly. That needs to go perfect. Then when I find the car, I don't I can't get tangled. I could then be in trouble. I've got to search correctly. I gotta not miss the person if they're in there. That's what everything's that's the real you get there. But you've been canceled. The call was not real. False call. I'm at 180. I'm lit. And I remember in that moment going, oh, okay, how can I, I remember going for years. I mean, for years, I would go back to the firehouse and just be like, fuck, how do I go back to sleep now? Like I'm wide awake. I'm through the roof. I remember the biggest way I would let go, not realizing I was trying to let go was they canceled. I'd be just going, fuck, in the back of the truck so loud because (laughs) it was partly like, there's no call. It's bullshit. But like, just, ah, uh, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with all this right now. I'm just supposed mm-hmm. to go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing was Wim Hof breathing. And I started doing foundation training, decompression breathing. Well, if I sit here and do a seated decompression, which I'm going to film for you guys, if you want to share to your community of how Definitely. we can do a seated decompression to address that breakdown and posture, you can do it at your desk, you can do it on a plane. But I started going, okay, 30 inhalations of decompression breathing. And that's Dr. Goodman's thing. We anchor the pelvis with that isometric contraction of muscles attaching. Then we use the breath to expand and elevate the rib cage up and away. And the idea is a seated decompression of the upper body. So you realign the posture. It does amazing things for back pain, the whole body, but it was a way to just in the moment be like, cause five breaths in, I'm like, fuck, fuck. Okay. ah, And then I would do like 10 rounds of Wim Hof breath. And that was like my new outlet for all of that. And it went, okay, it's letting go of everything. you know? And so my, my big thing for everybody is recognizing the power and control of these tools and going from a curious standpoint, how can I insert them into my life and just pick one for a little bit? And don't throw in the towel after a day or two or three or a week or two or three. Commit and And force yourself to hold the path, even if you're not seeing anything, so that in six weeks, you can look back and go, how did I evolve? What takeaways do I have? And be curious. That was my big thing as you talked about it. And and The Alchemist is like, I remember reading that book and and the takeaways of just going, as I did all these things, and I can look back now what my life was and who I was versus who I am now. And all of these hippy-dippy mumbo jumbo things molded me into the new person. I, I often would say to people, like, I feel like I've got the controller of my own video game. And that when I do these things, I am, I am controlling what my, my, you know, avatar is doing. And the avatar is me as the person that I am. And that wh- who I thought, I mean, I was by, by total Western standard, extremely healthy as a firefighter. I ate clean. I was in great aesthetically. I looked amazing internally. I I was great on my blood work, but if I look at, you know, Paul checks, five doctors, I was a fucking mess. You know, (laughs) I was a high sympathetic life parasympathetic, forget it. I lived on, I lived on my coffee and you know, it was just, um, textbook, you know, anybody that knew who I was is like, dude, you're so healthy. You know, I look back now and, and, I, I say it for everybody, the, the foundation training, the body weight work, it did so much for me that I left a career I never thought I would because I wanted to bring this to the world. I wanted to bring it to firefighters collectively. And I knew I could globally shift the, shift the world with it. And I believe that. Um, and I mean, again, like I don't get too much in the topic of the firehouse, because I'll get emotional. Like I love my crew. I love my friends. I showed up for work. And I had I I, it was a joke. I I got to do everything I loved and I had an amazing paycheck and I had health insurance and I had hundreds of hours of sick time, I had hundreds of hours of vacation time, I was traveling the world and surfing. It was like amazing. But then because I was listening to Les Brown, because I was doing this breathing stuff, I started to question because I was surrounding myself with people outside of my world and doing these new things. I started to realize in Les Brown's words that I was rotting on a vine, that I had achieved every ounce of what I set out to ever achieve in the fire service. And now I was just existing in that. And the ego of like, I'm fucking somebody on this truck. I could go to Indonesia and travel with my surfboards for six weeks, meet people. And they'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And and how are you just drifting around? The minute I said I was a firefighter, I was somebody. I was, oh, wow. And I didn't realize that that was just an, an unconscious ego stroke until I left, until I no longer could identify with that. And, and I was just kind of like, well, who the fuck am I? And in 10 years, I was going to have to leave. I was going to be retired and, and on a new thing. And, and I just went, you left on your terms, but the mindset kept going back. And then my ego was like, no, you can't go back. Because if you go back, this was my ego of everybody wins. They were right. You quit. And then you came back, and 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 it was not acceptable for me. And thank God, because otherwise I probably would have gone back. It was so comfortable; it was easier to hold on to who I was. And you know, man, I I say this for everybody who's trying to figure out their path and trying to figure out what they're doing, and on that path of like trying to grow something. Of I could never imagined being where I am now, and achieving what I've done. And I, I don't. I I mean, I'm still not. There, but every ounce of the goal, as I said, if I get to that point, I'm there. I had dreamed of working with the most elite surfers. One of them left my apartment this morning from me getting him reaching out to me. The uh, extreme, the elitist in jujitsu, you know, reaching out, be a doc, being recommended as the guy to work with them to help them build their strength program, you know, uh, to help rehab Hicks and Gracie. I could never imagine being in these circles. And I, it's not that I'm just somebody special. I was curious. I do the self work. I have surrounded myself with mentors and I shut my fucking mouth and listen. And that comes from being a fireman. If I could tell anybody the the takeaways of, of being a firefighter is like being nobody in the circle until you are somebody one day. And that comes from showing up, shutting your mouth, being the person that jumps up and does the bullshit jobs that nobody else wants to do. It comes from not having to be asked to get up and do the work. It's like you're literally start cleaning up. You're cleaning the plates from the table. The humility of being the new guy. You wake up early, you make the coffee, you raise the flag, rituals that now modern society, people are going like, that's not fair. That's not right. Guys coming in, newer generation thinking, well, I showed up, I made it through school. I'm a part of this crew. You're asking to join a tribe of guys that have been through a lot of shit together that have gone through not even just, oh, this guy almost died with it. No, like being there for each other. And, they you know, guys will be like, man, Jesse, what are you even talking about? But when you leave, you see it all a little bit differently. And if you're willing to do the work, and I was not – I've done a lot of work on myself, and I can look now and go, the moments of dealing with people losing family members, but being there with your guys and going through it, and recognizing you went through that together. And somebody thinks they're gonna walk in the door and have that bond because they passed the academy and they're at the table sitting with them. And they don't wanna get up and show that they deserve to be there. So anybody out there trying to enter this world or looking for the trick, my, and my twin brother talks about in the stunt world, the film industry, when he left the fire service, it's, it's showing people that you're, you're excited to be there, showing them you're reliable, showing them that you can be counted on and that you're willing to do the work and you're open to learn. That is my biggest, my biggest, biggest things. I look back of what, what was I trained without realizing was training me. And then, you know, being able to meet other people and just anytime I walked in a circle, I'm like, I I'm lucky to be here being out here with the guys. Uh, I'm out here with these guys on the North shore and it's a, it's a tight-knit group that have been together for years, and so when I come into the circles, I'm a nobody. I don't care what my work background is. I'm a nobody. And so it's my job to go around and introduce myself to, to and then just to shut up and listen and and hope that over time, I'm welcome to be a part of that tribe. And so, you know, um, as I talk about that, I think for anybody going into the world of business or trying to you know penetrate into a group is like show up consistently and be the person that's excited to be there, but also open to learn. Because everything, every ounce of who I am now is self-work, but being allowed to be around the right mentors and just listening and asking questions and absorbing and then keep showing up. And a lot of it, there's no pay. A lot of times there was no pay. And I was driving hours around California for no other chance than to be there and to learn or to help and sometimes just to be there and be totally unacknowledged and that was okay my ego my fireman ego i'm not being recognized well no you're not a fireman anymore that doesn't matter you're a new face in this thing just be happy you're there so you know and now i look back and i'm like this is it's insane like it, it the story like the the place i've gone now in 5 years and it's only going like this i mean we're we're still at early phase of foundation training yeah that was a long rant. I'm sorry. I got, Dude. you know you get that. that like no, it's amazing. It. Dude, that was I beautiful, man.
0: It. And a couple of things I heard in there too, was one thing that, you know, is a notion in my life, right? Is it's a comeback, not a go back, right? Because you were talking about what mm. happens if I go back to the firehouse, right? It's a comeback, right? And so what I'm thinking there, right? Or what, what spawned for me is that the same thing for me when I worked at the dispensary and I left the cannabis industry, right? And I went to go do my own thing. You know, that's what I use as motivation sometimes whenever I'm feeling like, oh, I'm doing a lot or I'm tired or any of these things. I think back to that reality and go, would you rather that? And I'm like, nope, I'm actually fine doing everything I'm doing now. Right. And it's like, you know, you can use those kind of things to be able to pump you up, because like I said before, no one's going to come save the day for you. You are your own biggest cheerleader and you are the one that is going to create your dream reality or your own worst nightmare. And when you realize that with great power comes great responsibility. And it's fucking fun, man. It's so much fucking fun. Like I can tell how much fun you have doing it. I know how much fun I have. And look, it might not always be like the most enjoyable thing, but it's so much fun. And by enjoyable, I mean that joy is a certain state that, you know, for me is something that sometimes comes, sometimes isn't there, right? It's always there, right? But there's a thought pattern or something that's coming up that might bring me away from that. But at the same time, what I'm realizing is that Life is what you make it, you know, and what you were saying, like how you were saying about that, like, you know, starting the coffee and putting the flag up and being the new guy, right? What are people really attaching onto there? You could say it's like, you know, it's, it's tribe. It's all these things. And it is accurate, but what it is, is energy, right? They want to mm. feel like you respect them and you are respectful enough to realize that you are coming into something that's already been created. And if you want to be accepted, you're going to respect that and add to that equation, that's all it takes to add a tribe, right? It's like, that's all it takes. It's not easy, but at the same time, it's simple, right? Where someone who's coming in, it's like the Power Rangers, right? If they didn't have the Green Ranger, right? And then the Green Ranger met them, they'd probably be like, eh, we don't know about you. But after a while, they'd be like, (laughs) wow, we need this guy because he brings something totally new to this tribe, right? And so I think that's where a lot of people get confused is they get this almost hair across their ass that, well, I've already done my part. I've already gone to school, whatever. It's like, listen, You could have gone to eight schools and been a part of eight different tribes. When you join another one, don't expect them to kiss your ass because you've been in these other things. You know, maybe they do. Maybe it's just like boom, hook, line, and sinker, and you're in. But a lot of times, if it's not, realize that that's good too. And that getting to prove yourself to someone else also means you get to reprove yourself to you of what you're willing to go through to live life on your own terms. And that's like what this whole podcast is about, right? And why I love doing Highly Optimized. It's why it's funny, man. You know, my business partner, I talk about a lot like, hey, man, you got two podcasts. That's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, but I fucking love both of them because they're Mm. the two sides of my life, right? Like, you know, highly optimized is everything we've been talking about, right? Like how to live a highly optimized life, way past fitness, way past just, you know, emotional healing, way past just spiritual work. It's everything combined. And what happens when you can join those things together? And then diving down the rabbit hole into all the stuff I've yet to know, right? Or yet to realize or yet to experience that's what the psychedelic realm is for me. And I don't need psychedelics to interact with life in that way, but they did, they were what taught me how to live life in that way. Mm. And so like combining these two realms, man, is so much fun. And, you know, for everyone listening, just like Jesse was saying, like, you know, I still get scared before I do podcasts. I still feel that come up, but now I've realized that fear is just excitement waiting to be transmuted. And that if I am an alchemist, which I choose to believe is true, not because I can prove it on a spreadsheet, but because I choose to believe it's true because it helps my experience of life, then I know that any feeling can be bliss when felt all the way through, as Joseph Campbell states. And so once you go into life with that type of prerogative of like, hey, if I don't like something in my life, well, I have the opportunity to change it. And you know you can. Life becomes a game again. And you become like a child again. And once again, I'm not a religious person, but I know a good line when I hear it. The Bible states... If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must first enter the mind of a child. Now, what is a child not afraid of doing? Like when you see a baby looking to walk for the first time and it falls over, does it beat itself up or does it just get back up and try walking again, right? It tries walking again because it doesn't have the analytical mind coming in and telling it that it can't, couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't, it's bad because it can't or anything like that. And so realizing that it's not the analytical mind that's necessarily the enemy, it's just that it's been programmed By other people who have been using it as the enemy, who got programmed from other people using it as the enemy, right? And so everyone is doing the best with the information they have available, but it's just like no one got the user manual for this and we don't learn this type of stuff in school. And so a lot of it with the going back to ownership is realizing that if I want to change my mind, if I want to change the way that my life looks, then I must get excited to work on it and choose to see it as an adventure, not actually something I have to do. Like, I think you were saying, I forget if it was before we hit record or when we were recording, but you know, you were saying that something along the lines of adventure, like when you were going on these journeys with the fire department, it was an adventure, right? And at the same time, like, you know, I think of the same stuff, like when I'm recording a module for Connect with Cannabis, this is my life right now. I'm constantly adding into the program and sometimes I'm recording and editing at like midnight, right? And part of me goes, oh, this is annoying. You're going to be tired tomorrow. Then part of me goes, why isn't it just another adventure? Why, like, why are you forgetting about what this module and what you're recording and what people are going to listen to in this could potentially change someone's life, right? Like, why aren't you thinking about that? And so again, it's, you know, whatever you choose to believe you're going to find evidence for. So if I believe, mm. oh, I'm going to be tired, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. Well, then guess what? I'm going to wake up tired because I told myself and I cast that spell on myself with my language that I'm going to be tired. I told myself what my reality was going to be. And so therefore I created it. But at the same time, if I catch those thoughts and just become aware of them and go, what if the opposite is true, right? Then I can start alchemizing. And the other half of this too is harmonizing into your feelings. A lot of people try to go right from chapter one to chapter 10 and go, I'm angry. I'm just going to pretend to be nice and pretend I'm happy, right? But what that's doing is it's actually teaching you that certain things are bad, right? It's 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 in strengthening this analytical mind to act in duality, where certain things are good, certain things are bad, certain things are desirable, certain things are undesirable. You know, this is mine, this is yours. When in reality, there's a way to liberate the mind, where you bu- rise above uh, uh, duality and go to neutrality, where you actually are able to see, hey, everything is helping in its own way, and at the same time, if I'm angry. I'm going to sit into that like you were saying like fuck i'm going to let that out right and there's obviously ways that we can do so with breath work and things like that that you know again i'm not against yelling fuck and punching a pillow but if we're in a public setting someone might get a little freaked yeah. out right and so rather than doing that i now know i can go to breath work i can do these things and so it's fascinating man and not to go down a super deep rabbit hole but at the same time you know I, like I said, I love diving into ancient history and, uh, you know, Atlantis, Lemuria, all these lost civilizations, and, you know, Graham Hancock's work and Michael Tellinger's work. And a lot of what they talk about is that when Atlantis fell, we had a falling in consciousness, right? We fell from grace, as the Bible talks about when we ate from the tree of knowledge, right? And so what this was, was it was eating. Uh, it's a it's a metaphor, of course, but it was realizing and getting into the duality of the mind of good and bad and all these things where the mind became our world instead of the mind being a tool to experience our world within. And at that same time, we forgot how to breathe. And so one of the things that mm. people like Wim Hof, Joe Dispenza, they're all tapping into something that's actually like if you went back 15,000 years ago and told someone like, I know how to breathe and you show them, they'd be like, everyone knows that, man. Like, that's not like, a, you know what I mean? And so We pride ourselves on having 5G and all these incredible things, but yet most of us don't know how to breathe. And so we can see this outbalance of masculine energy to feminine energy where breathing in the correct way where you're flexing up your perineum and filling that rib cage and doing all that and decompression, uh, decompressing the spine. And then when you're breathing out, you're really squeezing your abdominals. What that's doing is actually opening sutras in your skull and sacrum, allowing your cerebral spinal fluid to move and, and actually flush more than the twice a day it usually does in our typical state. And what's happening is then when we do a breath hold, it's pushing on the pineal gland, which has these little tiny crystals in it. And when it pushes there, when that pressure pushes there of the cerebral spinal fluid, it creates this piezoelectric effect in these little crystals. And what happens is then the pineal gland starts producing an external energy field and acts as a transducer where just like an antenna that picks up frequencies and turns them into images, that's exactly what starts to happen with the pineal gland. It turns into the third eye. It turns into these types of things that we learn about, where then we're able to have these blissful experiences where our brain waves go from beta up to gamma. And we have these transcendental experiences where literally like, like wherever we go there, at least from what I've experienced and how Joe explains it is more real than our lives. And we start realizing that connection to source. We start realizing whatever terminology you want to use, the quantum realm, God, whatever you want to say, there's something bigger guiding the way. And yeah, for me, just being able to tune into breathing that way. It also allows you to not just breathe oxygen when you're breathing. Because when you're shallow breathing, you're just getting oxygen. Which people think like, oh yeah, oxygen, most important thing. Um, you know, if you go without oxygen, uh, without you know, for three minutes or four minutes or whatever it is, you'll die, right? For the average person. But in reality, there's actually something even more crucial to our life than than that, which is prana or chi or ki or whatever this life force energy is described as. And so. When we're breathing, using the perineum, and doing all of that, we're not just getting oxygen, but we're getting life force. And that's why Tai Chi and all of these practices are so ancient because they understand that like in order to uh, in order to be fully highly optimized, right, to use the podcast name, in order to be highly <laughs> optimized, right, how to throw that in there, one must cultivate their energy, because if we are energy, and we've heard that, but a lot of like I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I knew that for a long time. like, yeah, yeah, yeah I hear we're energy. But until I had the direct experience of it through plant medicines and then honing my practice through Tai Chi and breath work and meditating, and everything like that, I wasn't able to actually realize that. And I think a lot of people are walking around with many knowings, but they haven't actually directly applied them to their experience of life and therefore haven't realized them, made them real for the eye in the equation. And so it's fascinating you brought all that up, man, because it's just, these are my favorite subjects to talk about.
1: <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're hitting me with these quotes of the entering the kingdom of heaven <laughs> and the mind of a baby. And I, I, well, what, what that, you know, as you talked about that, I, I think so often of the, the quotes you hear from the old, um, martial artist of, of the beginner mindset, right? Like bury me with my white belt, because I was always a, I was always the open-minded beginner. And, um, you know, there's one thing I, I, I've found again, like you touched on it earlier too, um, of the taking on new things. And, and like this year I, I had, a, I had one of these like profound start to the year. And I was doing this Wim Hof dispenser meditation combination that I found on YouTube. And I, I did a, a, um, use my voice recorder, saved it. And I was going through that meditation every day and going into this year. I was like, wow, it is, it's been such a crazy productive and positive. And I was like right away going that meditation was just giving me the right mindset, giving me the right focus. But I got to look at it too of like, what are we taking in? You know, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? And I I attribute a lot of it to, you know, I read five different books at one time. And I treat Mm -hmm. that like I'm changing a channel. But reading The Art of Impossible from Stephen Kotler, working my way through Joseph Campbell's um, uh, The Myth Book. I I can't remember the title of it. Mm. Um, But going through these different books. And then for whatever reason, I got in this new year and I was like, okay. I've talked about always wanting to get on with salsa and, and I've dabbled, I never really did. Okay, I'm going to start going to salsa. Mm-hmm. And the, the phases of learning that and the awkwardness and the beginner and so many people talk about wanting to learn it and how, oh, but it's so hard. And I'm going, but what's the old quote? If you're consistent and 10 years from now, anybody can be good at anything. Mm-hmm. So I, and I tell everybody, I look at how good other people are and go, he's not an outlier. And I say that with everything in my life. If it can be done, and I, I believe that when I listen to Spender's work and people beating diseases, if other people can do it, they're not freak outliers. It there's a innate power in all of us. And so taking on new activities, new hobbies that number one gets you out of your comfort zone, that you are having to learn something new so that you keep a curious mind about your life. Like you touched on what I said with the adventure, it was my truck got stolen. And that night turned into, okay, I can't do anything about tonight. I'm on this like thing with a cop that it went all crazy. And I wound up wandering all over town and I want to go home. I came in from a late night flight. All I can do is control how I respond to this, but it was a, I should, I just went into Okay. What's this adventure going to be like? And so going into the mode of what do you want your adventure to be like? And I say for everybody, what is any, what do I do with any of that is, Write down five things that you've always gone. I would love to learn that one day, or I'd love to learn that if, or when I'm older, when I retire, or when I have the money. Write down five of them and pick one and figure it out. Like I'm, I'm currently, again, 2022, I'm currently working my, taking classes in salsa, actively pursuing it. I'm doing it with Spanish. I'm actively going, finally, I'm going to stop being the world's worst Mexican and I'm going to (laughs) learn Spanish. And so here I am at 39 years old and I'm going, I'm going to learn it. And I'm forever trying to learn how to be a better surfer and build a degree of comfort in waves that truly have consequence. And I'm never going to surf as good as the guys here, but getting out of my head that you like, that's not even a reality. Just learn to be out there and enjoy it. They don't give a shit about how you surf. They're inviting you because they care about who you are as a person. And, oh, hey, when you're doing salsa, nobody cares. The community is actually extremely welcoming. And then, you know, I've got a handful of other things that I'm going, I'm learning. I'm learning how to do this. And then I started to find as I'm reading Stephen Kotler's book of, oh, hey, by being out of your comfort zone, by learning this new skill, you're challenging the brain to learn new patterns. You're helping it stay fired and wired. Your being curious about life, you're feeling more fulfilled because you're pursuing these things. And guess what? You're out of this state now of like in your head of worry, and you're just working to, to find the pattern and being patient with yourself. And next thing you know, it's like, I can look back and go, people are like, wow, you're decent at salsa. You're pretty good. I'm going, oh, you just haven't seen the other people dance. And then <laughs> realizing like, quit quit doing that to yourself. Like, enjoy where you are, look at yes. where you're going. And Just like with anything, with whatever the job is, look at where you're going, map out your path, but focus on the goal. And like, you know, I, I've started allowing a a big wave surfer to push me into more endurance training with them. And I realized like, I haven't run three miles in many, many, many years. I'm great at weightlifting. I'm great with kettlebells, short endurance style stuff, but going for a run, it was a mental battle. And I actually started writing a lot of notes of how it's framing just that alone or showing up, not allowing myself to quit. Because again, the firehouse mentality, like if I quit on this guy, he's going to think you're full of shit. You're not serious about training with him. So he's not going to want you coming back. And so it made me push through and I felt amazing. And I've been going back and running more and more and recognizing whatever that is, it's molding again, the gutting it out. It's molding a different mental sensation when things start to get hard instead of going, okay, we're done now, but no, you show up, you get through it and you realize like, wow, I'm stronger than I thought I was. Wow. I've got a little bit more perseverance than I thought I could dig out. And it carries over into everything. And so the other day I say for everybody is like, everything you're doing will have this underlying effect. And as you said, whether you like it or not, you're in control of your scenario. And there's a TV behind me. It's not wired in. It's not plugged in. I started finding like, oh, hey, Last time I, I watched a show that people were really telling me to watch was like *Peaky Blinders* last mm-hmm. summer, and I was going to. I would okay, I'll watch thirty minutes, then I'm going to go to bed. Allow yourself to chill out, and I started finding like, wow, I'm like having gnarly dreams, or wow, I'm just angry going to bed, and I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't want to watch this anymore, and I started getting back to the habit of meditation, movement before bed. Like I like to have a toke some nights and go stretch and listen to my body or. I allowed somebody to get me into the idea of chanting. I was like, "Chanting, okay." No, wait. Let's be curious.
0: That shit is wild, I started, bro. <laughs> Whoa, bro.
1: When we get together, when we get together, and yes. everybody get get the um, Hare Krishna. Like, I didn't know what I didn't even know. I want what a go. All oh, what is it? And this this friend of mine in LA, she's a fascinating breath work girl, movement, amazing high line slack liner. Um, And she she kind of put me onto it, and it was Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, I apologize if I'm butchering how to say that. But um, so I was like, okay. And I started doing it at night here. And I would be stretching, doing that, and just what a different headspace. Wow, do I sleep amazing? Wow, do I have clarity? Wow, can I tune into my body? And suddenly you start to recognize what it means to truly be doing self-work in my mindset. Like, right, everyone's just gonna be different, but not watching TV, not getting sucked didn't do like I, I hate to say it somebody said music you know repetitive stuff you're casting spells i thought it was hippy dippy but now when i hear certain music and it's negative it's limiting it's you know a lot of the young guys love to put on the rap before we go surf and i'm hearing it about the money the bitches the that the, that that's i'm just going and you're listening to this over and over and over and you're programming and so a lot of times for me, if I'm running, if I'm doing conditioning, although now it's no earphones, no nothing, you have to deal with your mind when you run. and li- look at where does it go. But when I'm listening to stuff, it's motivational, it's inspiring, um, it's enjoyment or things that bring back a nostalgia. but just recognizing, you know, if, if you truly want to get a control, like it does take effort. I got a lot of friends and and you know, whenever I go to their place, I've had to stop. I've had to stop judging, you know, which is a shitty habit, but I had to stop judging coming over there and them laying around watching, binging on Netflix and recognizing like everyone's at their own journey. Everyone's in their own space. And maybe this is the way they're able to decompress and your lifestyle is not for everybody, but Mm -hmm. if you want to make change, fix the little things, you know? So that's, yeah, that's just, uh, you had me going on all that.
0: No, it's perfect, man. And, you know, you said a lot of good stuff in there and there was something that I was going to say, and I'll see if I wrote it down. Um, I didn't write it down. There was something I was going to say, um, but I'll see if it comes back to me. But one thing I'll say is that uh, chanting, man, uh, dude, especially. So this is where I work with cannabis, right? Where a lot of people, they're like, what do you mean chanting? Right. And so like you say in a sober state, you try to tell someone to chant. Maybe they feel something right. But they they kind of like, I don't know. Right. You get someone nicely medicated on some biogeometry, organic grown cannabis that was grown with love. And then you join hands with them and do some ohms where you breathe in on the way up. So you breathe in, raise your hands up, and then you ohm slowly on the way down. Two or three of those, man. And they'll be like, whoa, because what happens is Naturally, your voices will try to match each other's tone. And when that happens and you just get one tone together and it's like, and you're just like, whoa, like something happens. And so then that person goes, whoa, I think I just got what this is supposed to do. Now they're able to go back into their sober reality and know what they're looking for. And so this is why I love using cannabis and all this stuff. Same with breathing. Like one of the things I love more than anything is being able to interact with some cannabis breathe, which I have a breathwork technique. I'll show you that, uh, will change your life dude with cannabis. It's pretty wild. Um, I call it cannabis breathing and, uh, and, and getting into, you know, foam rolling, uh, and really getting into my tight areas. And instead of being like, come on, get out of there, not actually breathing and being like, Hey man, you can let go if you want, to, or if you're not ready, that's cool too. You know, yeah. and being totally like surrendered to whatever happens and just being there in the experience, man, it's so beautiful. And, you know, One of the things I wanted to say, too, was that, you know, with regards to music, you know, and TV and all of this stuff, you know, you're right that it is 100 percent programming you. And it doesn't mean that you can't watch things or listen to bad music or anything like that. It just means that, like, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right. Like so like sometimes say if I'm out at like a music festival or something and someone's putting on some dirty beats. Right. I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to hang with this. Right. But am I going to do it every day of my life unconsciously? Or am I going to know, like, no, I'm choosing to do this consciously and I'm aware of it, right? And so, you know, this is one of the main reasons that I've switched over most of my entertainment to Gaia, right? Because now... I get to have my cake and eat it too. And it's gluten-free, right? Where I get to like watch Gaia, get to watch Joe Dispenza. And so I still get to do what my body is asking, which is like, come on, can we just watch TV? I'm like, sure. But it's going to be conducive to our environment. And I go on there and I watch some weird shit about bases on Mars and all this stuff. And I have no idea what's true, but I just like investigating and being curious about things. And so I love that, man. It's so powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, bro, I'll tell you one cool connotation or thing to add to your part about syncing up with the breathing and the, oh, the humming, the oming exhale. Mm. When we ohm or when we hum on our exhale, I try to encourage people doing foundation to find a humming exhale when they can't, like some people are like, <laughs> and they, they get very <laughs> yeah. active, anxious breathing. So I'll give them the hum to help them hone in and draw out their exhale. And a mm. couple of things happen when we're doing that. One, we draw out our exhale. We help to calm the nervous system down. That's how for free diving, when we want to prep for a, a going deep, you're three second in, 10 second out, you're calming the nervous system down, you're slowing your heart rate, you're oxygenating the body, you're also in a way helping build up some carbon dioxide, which is, you know, what we want to have go on. And when you start doing the humming exhale, you're, you're helping get this nitric oxide to upregulate as well in the body, which helps feed oxygen out to the muscles. And what's crazy, bro, is when I was still a fireman and we would respond to anxiety calls. I'm not in the world that I'm in back then, but I had gone through free diving. And we we would just basically calm people down. And then like, are you okay? Do you need to go? Like some people need to go to the hospital. The, I mean, major panic attacks. I started just telling people, hey, you should explore free dive breathing. Try it. Three se-. When you start to feel even the notion of this, three second in, ten second out and see if you can calm your, and as I would say, you're slowing your heart rate down. You're upregulating, you know, your breathing, you're going to get everything under control, your oxygen up in your body. And I just went, it's a quick tool for getting control. But with that oming and, and the sinking up, there's just, there, you can't explain it. That's why I love Wim Hof's quote, feeling is understanding. I say that with so many things and so much of the practices of, you know, um, even with the TV, like when I, when I have those moments, I, I will Kind of just being there, like, do you want? It's okay, but do you want to tune out or do you want to tune in? Mm -hmm. Which one do you want? It's okay to tune out, but if you want to tune in, if you want to do the work, if you want to, I say to myself, if you want to improve, let's do something for you. You know what would what would your ancestors have done? You know Mm -hmm. they'd have probably been collectively hanging out and moving and talking and playing.
0: You -hmm. know that's the
1: other one uh, I think as adults is looking at it is like what what can you do to play you know, and and whether that's going to salsa dance, going surfing, getting in nature. I mean, I don't know about you. Like if I go in nature and I see a tree or a branch, like for whatever reason, I just feel so much, so much achievement, so much, something feels right in my brain. If I just hang off that branch, Yep. you know, something feels right. I don't do it enough anymore. I don't think most of us do when we hit an age. If I climb the tree, can't explain it. Right. But it's wired in us. And so even being barefoot, I think back as a Floridian begging my mom to go play in the rain, not knowing why I just, I want to be in the rain. And now as an adult, like, Oh, it's raining. Oh God. I get <laughs> out of here. And like, I, I'll tell myself like, Oh, are you are going to melt? You're in Hawaii. Like it rains every freaking day. There's sun showers all the time. Learn to what's the sensation on your body. What, like feel it, experience the moment. And like everyone wants to be in the moment that, you know, that is the big thing now is be, be present, be in the moment well, don't run out of the rain then.
2: Be in the moment
1: and experience the rain. What are you getting? What are you feeling? Where's on your body? A buddy of mine did that in Australia with me. We're doing breath work. And I think we had smoked a little bit of of weed, but we were just standing and it was a huge, heavy breeze off the rocks. We were in like Maroubra right off Bondi beach. And it was nighttime. We were standing out there. He's like, close your eyes and just feel the wind on your entire body. And he's like, just pay attention to where you feel it, what you're feeling, how you're, fe- I was like, well, I was still very out of the fire service new. I'm like, what is this guy <laughs> talking about? And, but I was like, all right, bro, I'm in You're a very interesting character. And I was like, wow, that was, why was that so different? What? And I just, it never, it never left my mind. I'm like, wow, that was a really interesting moment to share with them, you know? That's-
0: so play. Dude, it's so beautiful, man. And, you know, that's really like a good analogy for life is like, get out in the rain, right? Like when you have the negative thoughts, like tune into them, right? Because again, you can transmute anything. And I think, you know, speaking from my own personal journey, I won't project on anyone else, but, you know, I ran from a lot of my life and I had this download actually when I was uh, interacting with cannabis one day because I normally interact with cannabis on weekends. And this weekend, uh, my partner was away. And so I was getting into like more like mundane tasks, right? Like, okay, I'm going to do my laundry. I'm going to fold my laundry. And so I started the laundry process, the folding of laundry before I interacted with cannabis. And so I have all this laundry, it's folded, but it's got to get put away. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I noticed myself being like, oh, fuck laundry. Okay. What's next to my calendar? What else can I do? I got to clean my closet. You know, what's more fun than doing laundry? I was trying to run away from like, this thing is not fun. And I've cast it as that. So what can I do to get away from it? And then, so I decided, all right, I'm going to interact with some cannabis. And, you know, I made the intention, like, you know, I'm curious, like, what's going on here? Why do I find certain things fun and certain things not fun? And so I connect with cannabis. I start folding my laundry and I realize, oh, I'm just framing this the wrong way. It's not that folding laundry isn't fun. It's that I'm framing it as something I have to do with no objective. Like, it just got to get done. Why? Just has to, right? Rather than saying, no, when I fold my laundry and put it away and I wake up and I know where to find everything, that's an act of self-love. And so like how many things right now is someone running from that can actually be reframed as an act of self-love when they flip the script on it, right? Like, for instance, you know, why I unload my dishwasher, why I back in my house, anything like that is because I know that when I wake up on Monday morning and I have a schedule full of stuff, and I go downstairs and everything's clean. I go upstairs, my laundry's clean. Like, I don't have to figure out any, I don't have to make any decisions randomly that day of like, oh my God, I got to get this clean because I'm not, you know, conducive in my work environment. All of a sudden I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And so, like, you know, this is another one of the many reasons I love cannabis because it helps when used intentionally and responsibly to be able to reframe our lives. And and in general, it's something that I've taken on with language work and doing coaching, being able to. See, even the most mundane tasks as an opportunity to connect deeper with yourself. And so, like, mm-hmm. just like you were saying, running without headphones, right? Some people are like, oh, that sounds terrible, right? But it's like, well, it's an opportunity to connect deeper with yourself and realize where's my mind going when I'm doing this, right? And what does it have to teach me? And so, I love that, man. It's so powerful. And, you know, this has been an incredible conversation, man. And I could talk to you literally all day, but I want to make sure I give people an opportunity to know where they can find you. Of course, we'll put it all in the show notes. But if you could tell people where they can find you, where they can find out more about foundation training um, and all the things you're doing, man, drop where, you can fi- where they can connect with you.
1: Yeah. I think the easiest I give people is first Instagram, uh, at coach J Salas, S A L A S and then, uh, foundation training.com. We have an app that I highly encourage people to try for two weeks, but you have to show up every day, do it. Um, that is ftstreaming.com. Uh, it'll change your life it changed mine. Um, otherwise those are generally the two platforms I'm on. I've created sites. I never use them. Uh, most people find me through the webs. Um, so I would say you can always email, um, you can always email Ali at foundationtraining.com with questions about the practice. Um, it's a L L I at foundation She really is the, the glue and driving forward uh, person behind the scenes of foundation training for us. And um, she's great, a great filter of questions and helping people get connected. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm out here on the North Shore of Oahu. I'm always traveling. I'm always doing workshops. And, you know, when I have organizations and people that want those, I, I tell them reach out and, um, you know, we can work on putting one together. I look forward to coming to yours, man. I cannot wait. I, wanna, I want to do so many cool breath work, chanting, foundation training. I want to just explore the gauntlet with you. And then really like, if it's one day with a group, I want you to just help us understand what's going on with us when we're going through these things together, you know?
0: Yes. I love that, man. You know, this is, you know, we were talking uh, on our intro chat about collaboration, right? And this is another reason why I feel you're a projector, man, because not everyone gets super fired up about like, just all these possibilities. But when I meet other projectors, it's like, oh dude, you're a projector, right? Because we're like, our biggest thing is being like, you need to know that person. Then watching them get together and be like, Oh my God, I was talking to shaker about it too. And being like, I think he's a projector because he just does this naturally. (laughs) And so it's so fun, man. And this is, you know, this is why like, I literally have so much fun podcasting. I think it should be illegal because not only do I get to have amazing conversations that fill my cup and allow me to be inspired, but I get to share them with the world. And then I get to make fucking amazing connections that become instant fucking brothers and sisters of mine. Like, you know, I met, um, a shout out to my buddy, Michael Prieto. Uh, this kid is uh, just so cool. And we podcasted together. And on the podcast, I was telling him that I was coming out to San Diego. And he's in LA. And he's like, oh, why are you coming out? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to this check workshop. He's like, oh, tell me about it. So I tell him, buddy, he's like, dude, I'm going to buy tickets right now. So we, he buys a passport, right? And we meet up there. And we just have the best time. And his partner, Ashley, is amazing, too. And we just have this deep connection. And it's like that with everyone I've been meeting. And it's just so fucking cool. And so for anyone listening, it's just another thing that points to what Jesse and I have been talking about, where if you, if your heart is calling for something, it's not going to seem logical in most senses, but go for it. Because why are we here if not to give life a full fucking send? And the last question I have for you, man, based on full sending is this. If someone listening could only make one change to highly optimize their life, what would Jesse Salas suggest that change be?
1: One change. One change. One change change your morning ritual. Just make, make if it, 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 it just change how you show up for the day. That that's my biggest one. Whatever it looks like. And and and, observe, and, and, and just take on the idea of change. Be open yes. to it. That's it.
0: I fucking love it, man. And okay, guys. When I first got connected to Jesse through a mutual friend of ours, Shaker, we immediately hit it off. Jesse's approach to life is one that resonated deeply for me as I find myself constantly curious as to how I can continue to stretch my comfort zone and find a way to view all of my challenges and setbacks as happening for me rather than to me. It is my intention to share individuals with each of you on this show that I feel are establishing a whole new baseline of what it looks like to be a conscious, balanced leader. And Jesse's approach to life as a whole hits the nail right on the head to what resonates as truth with regards to conscious leadership in the modern day. For anyone who heard this episode and is excited to learn more about Jesse, foundation training, and all of the other amazing aspects of his life and mission, make sure to check out the show notes, where we will be listing all of the ways that you can get in touch with him and begin that journey today. I believe our power as human beings, including our ability to heal ourselves, is so much more than what the typical paradigm of health has told us thus far. And Jesse's revolutionary approach to healing our bodies through foundation training is something that I feel will continue to have an incredibly positive ripple effect at allowing people to rediscover their innate ability to heal themselves and create harmony in their physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. Jesse, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom with us on the show today, for going through what you've gone through, which has allowed you to guide others from a deep place of balance and courage, and for continuing to empower your fellow brothers and sisters to believe they can heal their bodies and live pain-free through the important work you are doing in the world, and until next time my brother, journey well, Be well, and much love over to you. Namaste. Cheers. What is up everybody? I hope you are all enjoying the show and I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done for you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now you guys know that delegation is a business superpower and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders, with a Z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out, and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded webpage, professionally edit our program video content, Custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders with a Z on the end, and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever.